Welcome to Journey to Motherhood, the podcast that has conversations with women who yearn for parenthood and are contemplating or are going through or have gone through so-called unconventional or unspoken of experiences to get there. My desire is that this becomes one of those helpful resources and that the stories of the people who participate will help anyone listening to realize that they are not alone. So welcome everyone. I am really excited about today's conversation with Lerato and we're going to be talking about her journey to motherhood and some of what she experienced on that journey. Lerato, when did you know you wanted to be a mother? So the journey for me started when I was 27. And there was a minor obsession that I wanted to have a child so that when he or she turns three, I'd be 30. Okay. So she'd be a tenth of my age. And I don't know where that came from. But I think at 27 was when I was steady enough from a work perspective. I'd been a high flyer, climbed up the corporate ladder. And I thought, no, this is a point where I can actually just settle down now because you'll never be 100% ready. So one of the first things that I did, I went to my mom and I said, look, you're a single parent. I'm alone right now. So this is the journey that I want to start. And she says to me, don't look to be a single parent, but be ready for it because you can never tell what's going to happen in the world. So I kept that in the back of my mind. Um, but really just the idea of being a mother became almost obsessive. Um, so I went and I just, you know, had myself checked, make sure everything will work. Because the other thing that was quite important in my life was as an out lesbian, I knew that it was always going to be an assisted journey. There was no way I was going to be able to do it by myself. So that's when the research started, including reading sale papers and seeing how much nappies and milk are. <laughs> okay. So at some point I was <laughs> Were like... Were you saving for them? I was like, no, maybe we should stop because have you seen the price of milk? Have you seen the price of nappies? So that was kind of the, the, the lighthearted version of just me kind of readying myself and say, look, there's basic things that you know, but there's so many other things. And I think I was really fortunate to have such an awesome relationship with my mom where you could actually talk about the really mundane as well as some of the serious. Mm. And so you talk about getting yourself checked. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That means going to a specialist, make sure that, um, we used to say, make sure that the factory is right and ready. Mm. Because I've not had a, a pregnancy scare otherwise. I'd be quite surprised if you had. I mean, it would be so. an interesting turn on biology if you had. Okay. Yeah, so so because I'd, I'd never had that kind of experience, for me it was I don't even know kind of what needs to be right in order for the environment to be right to be yeah. able to have a child. So that's kind of the first thing that I went and checked. Just go to a specialist, make sure ovaries, everything, uterus is all right. And that was, that was it. So I got a clean bill of health at that point. And what was in, intense, that by the time I got ready to have a child, there was a complication that wouldn't have come up in that OBG's check. Mm. And that was I had what is called early ovarian aging. Mm. And what that means is that my body basically thought I was much older than I am. So in terms of egg production and availability, that was quite limited. And it would never have come up. Yep. It would never have come up. So I think for me, the lesson there was access to information is key. Theory is key. And people, especially in the medical profession, need to be your eyes when yours can't be. Because they're trained, right? 
So you think of the basics. So even when I come in and I ask for a consultation for X, Y, Z, I think holistically you should be able to ask me more questions given my openness about the situation. Yep. You know, so I didn't get to that answer immediately, by the way. So um, if I backtrack a little bit, so I'm 27, I want this child, I go and I do all the, the medical checks and everything comes out right. Then for a while, I don't do anything about it. Then I meet a lovely girl who is now my wife. And um, I say to her, I don't know where you are, but I've been on this journey to try and have a baby for years. Then her answer is, I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have a child. Wow. But here I am with a wedding band. What? Yes. What do you mean? So she proposed? Well, well sort of. We, but she, she committed. It was a kind of, we, I mean, the story is quite magical, but, you know, that's a story for another <laughs> day. But I had never felt so strongly about someone than I did about her. And I said, when I first met her, I said, get wife or die trying. Oh, nice. Just mimicking that, that whole 50 cent <laughs> thing to say, I, whether or not you know it, I'm going to marry you. Nice. And then she was like, well, here we are. And that was the first confirmation that she was feeling the same kind of thing. But I was like, look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So I'm hoping that it's not a deal breaker for us. And, you know, um, she committed to the process. And one of the things, funny enough, that she said was she's quite happy to go through that process as long as she's not the one that's carrying. Mm. Now, if you were to see me, then you would see that between the two of us, I'm the m more masculine presenting than she is. Yeah. So that was another thing that was quite a big deal with everyone. My family was quite easy because obviously if I want to have a baby, it means I want to have a baby. Um, but with all our friends, it was always, are you the one who's going to carry? Are you? Because are you? <laughs> using heteronormative kind of ways of yes. thinking, seeing you and your partner, like I would also think, you know, so she's definitely the more feminine. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing personal, but I mean... <laughs> no, of course, of course. Um, and we still get that. We'll be yeah. walking with our little two-year-old and people would say to her, oh, you have an amazing body for someone that just had a child. That's why she has an amazing body. <laughs> that, that was always the underlying reason. She is clever. She knew. <laughs> <laughs> we need an episode on surrogacy. <laughs> and surrogacy in relationships. She knew. She knew. So... But, I mean, look, she'll laugh it off and then she'll be like, no, I didn't carry. She did. And oh, then you just nice. see the shock horror on people's faces. They want to ask the question, but they can't muster up the courage to say, well, you know, how did you get there? And, I mean, deciding for us was super simple. Mm. I came with the proposal and I said, this is what I'd like to do. She supported that proposal and off we went. And what was the proposal? It was, I would, I'm slightly older than her. I was like, if anything... Because we have the benefit of two uteruses, we could potentially, I start and you go next. Mm. Um, but I really would like to start because this is something that's been burning inside of me for a long time. So we only have one and the jury's still out. She's only two. So I don't know if there's another one coming. But I think the initial agreement was, you know, we'd be quite comfortable if I started. You know, how the sentence ends, we don't know whether I end up carrying the second one as well or she carries. We didn't get that far. But... It was a let me start. Okay. You know, okay. so yeah. Am I allowed to ask the question of whose egg was used or? No, absolutely. It was yeah. mine. Okay. Yeah, okay. it was mine because much like, you know, you go through some of these tests at the, at that time, she was actually dealing with endometriosis. Oh. Yeah. So we were actually going through that. Funny enough, 
she was in the hospital getting an operation on her endometriosis when I was eight months pregnant. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, we've had, we've had quite a bit to deal with. So I think with her and the medical issues that she was having, it was kind of clear that we would go with my egg in the first round. But yeah, it, it almost felt like the choices were laid out yeah. simply because of what we were dealing with. So the discussion was quite easy. It wasn't a, you know, do we flip a coin or do we, do we mix it up like they do in the movies? Take the two <laughs> eggs and fertilize and just you'll be surprised by what comes out. You know, cause, and we'll never know. And we'll, really? <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, I mean, when you say we'll never know and I say really, it's because there's a running joke that, you know, my mom made me by herself. Yeah. Obviously she didn't. What that's implying is that we look so much alike. Mm. So, you know, this gene game is quite strong yeah. on my side. If that baby was mine, we would be able to tell. <laughs> we, would, <laughs> we would absolutely be able to tell. So, yeah, my egg. And then we just got to the point of, okay, now we need a donor. Mm. Where does that conversation start? Where do we look? Are there facilities in this country? How do you choose? What do the choices look like? So yeah, that was, that was quite interesting. Then we started looking for various banks, just out of interest to see where would we be able to get. Before you get there, because mm. I think that's, that is another segue, and I really want to get into that. But there's a piece you talked about at the beginning around getting checked. Mm. And women having conversations, more and more conversations about, you know, are you almost able to have a child? Yes. Did you find, I mean, did you ever have those conversations with friends, family? Because what I yeah. certainly found was it was never a conversation until it was a conversation for almost all my friends. And by then we were close to mid-30s. So yeah. what did you find in your journey? So it was never a conversation. I'm with you. It was absolutely never a conversation. And I think for me, the only reason it became a conversation is because of my sexual orientation. Uh. You know, because I innately knew it was always going to be an assisted journey. So I think any one of my heterosexual friends, they would never think of that. They would, mm. It doesn't even come up. So how do you then facilitate a conversation for something that's not even in your cosmic consciousness? You know, and that's important because, you know, these fertility things are not reserved for any one person, male or female. Mm. You know, so the notion of being able to get checked, the ability for you to find information of what does getting checked mean for a man or a woman, life stage, the impact thereof, you know, how the world is changing and women are, are getting pregnant later and later in life because the factory remains forever healthy. It's the egg production that will kick you. Yep. You and know, that is a big thing. And we never have those conversations. We, we, we never have the discussion that, you know, your strongest eggs are the first ones that you know that you lose um because those are the ones that you lose when you're really young mm. we never talk about that so when you are you know 18 20 those are your strongest fighters and that's when you're not ready to be having a child you see i've been having more and more conversations about people freezing their eggs yes so i think i actually need to do a whole different episode on egg production and freezing eggs yes. and at which point we should normalize the conversation around this as an option for women. Absolutely. But so, okay, so you now, you've made the decision, you found the one, you've made the decision, we're having a child, you're looking for a donor. Yes. This is immediately just after doing all, all the checks. Okay, we are able to, we're clean, we're, you know, because I, I had to redo them because now it's a few years had gone by. Mm. And I mean, it's a simple doctor's check to go say, you know, this is what I need to do. Um, we're looking for the donor. 
and then we we then lock in on a fertility clinic. You know, we go, we chat to them. We're a couple. This is what we'd like to do. This is the journey that we'd like to go on. And then they do a series of blood tests, and then they ask you kind of which route you'd like to go. Oh, first tough question, which route? What does that mean? What does that mean? So even sitting in the doctor's consulting rooms, there's still so much information that I don't know whether you should have had before or you should you know, have the presence of mind and not be overtaken by the moment and be mm. able to ask. You know, but we ask, well, what does that mean? So there's artificial insemination as well as the IVF route. And again, one of the things about IVF, there's this whole notion that it's so expensive. So if you don't have to go there, then don't go there. Mm. But then again, the chances of getting pregnant on artificial insemination are still relatively low. So it's a toss-up now. Mm. Do I want to commit the sum of money to be able to do something which increases the chances, doesn't guarantee, increases the chances? Or do you want to keep going at these smaller pops of money where the likelihood of getting pregnant first time, second time, third time may not necessarily even be there? Yeah. So that's that's something I wish, you know, I'd had a conversation. Certainly, I don't know with who, but I really wish I'd had that conversation to say, you know, do you want to potentially plan for five, six attempts on the one side or just pull that money and increase your chances with the other mm. side? So clean bill of health had come through. So we decide, no, we'll go with artificial insemination, also just figure ourselves out, how does this work, and commit, much like you do with anything, you know, test the water mm. with one foot and not yeah. both. So off we went. Eventually we got hold of you know, a, a sperm bank, we got some, some sperm, and then we went through the artificial insemination. First time, did not take. Then you have to deal with that. Because again, mm. the doctor prepares you for the medical result. But not, no one prepares you for the emotional. Not the emotional result. And you assume science works, right? So, so on some level, you're just like, okay, now I'm ready. I've been waiting for so many years. I'm mm. now ready. I've now gone through the science part of it. I'm going to have a baby. Yes. Yes. So, so then that happens. And then, then you hear how common it is. Mm. You know, okay, so why am I investing so emotionally for something where the likelihood of failure is so much higher mm. than not? So then I think that affects you mentally also, and your body takes on the stress that you take mm -hmm. on. So now you think, should I temper my expectation or should I carry on going full steam and be able to deal with the emotional result that happens? Second attempt we go through um, also doesn't take. So then now I'm like, wow, okay, um, here's a pattern. So now I'm questioning every aspect of the journey. So was my clean bill of health inaccurate? Mm. Is this what typically happens? And then because I was a little bit older, now I'm thinking, am I too old? Did I waste time? Should I have done this sooner? And, and all sorts of things. These are the questions that are mm. flowing in my mind now. And now the risk that I'm running is that I'm leaving my partner behind. Yeah, I'm sitting in my head mm. and I'm thinking and processing and over-processing. And... And I just, where, where, where is she at that point? And you also don't have the language because what do you say? Mm. What do you say when you go home? Yeah. You know, when you've now got this test result that says no, negative. Yeah. And what does he say to you? Yeah. You know, yeah. And you see the challenging. struggle. You see the struggle with, I want to comfort you. My, because I'm, I'm not living that life, I, I can't even tell what she's going through. Mm. So you can see the struggle. You can see the struggle of I want the words, but I don't know them. I don't have them. Or they're not easily accessible in my mind for me to be able to give them to you right now. 
then we think, no, that's fine. Let's, let's just keep going because we can. Also financially, we can. So third attempt we go through and then that catches. So now we now don't know how to process the joy. Yeah. We're just like, you know, this is happening. I mean, are we ready? You know, this is going to happen now. Um, and combination of kind of all the risks associated with pregnancy and, you know, just everything that happens early on, as well as some of the cultural influences of not being able to kind of make those news public, et cetera, et cetera. Then we decide, okay, we'll figure out how long, you know, we'll keep this to ourselves for until such time that we can start sharing the news. So a few weeks pass um, with a positive result. And on the day that we had decided we're going to tell my mother, packed up everything, got her a gift, and we labeled the gift um, the world's greatest grandma. Oh, That's how we told her. Um, so there, there's joy, there's celebration, there's tears, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. On our drive back home, I started bleeding. Oh no! I drove. I, I didn't drive. My wife drove us straight past our house to the hospital, and I lost the baby there. Oh. Yeah. So, I think for me. There's a whole host of things that we can branch off and, t- and talk about, you know, miscarriage and some of the stigma and some of the pain that's associated there with. But believe it or not, for me, the greatest pain was more around just the timing. You know, had it happened um, any other time, I think we would have been able to kind of just deal with one aspect. But it was now interlaced with we actually created such a big hullabaloo about it and inside that crescendo of a moment that's, that's when it happened that's when it happened and i mean we were, we were devastated to say the least it was another element of potential rift between us and we acknowledge that very much we acknowledge that because we we were feeling pain that we couldn't explain we had both of us we had made a connection with our unborn child however early on in the process it was because there's another thing that you know if ever people find out about your miscarriage they always want to know how far along you were completely immaterial it doesn't matter completely immaterial so we were anchored in that deep pain and if we didn't hold each other's hands we probably would have drifted apart because we're experiencing it differently. You know, I'm not saying we came out of it perfectly, but I'm very conscious of what an inflection point that was in the journey. It was another sleeve in kind of our file of facts that we could just, you know, there was a time before and a time after because we sat in the hospital, we waited and then we had to go in do do more tests in the morning, and you know, so you know at night already, because that's what they're saying it could likely be, but you still have the whole night to go through of being able to then get the tests in the morning done to confirm. So that was that was gut wrenching. That was gut wrenching, and um, it was just nothing could have prepared us. Nothing. No amount of conversation. No amount of kind of. Empathy, sympathy, everything. None, none could have been able to prepare us for that. So 
we carried that carried that along through the journey and it almost reminded us how you know we have to treasure every single moment every single milestone of a journey because you actually have no idea mm-hmm. so it took a while to be able to get back um into trying again understandably so i mean we were dealing with the loss and we kind of figured at the point at which we could be comfortable enough to try is if we could be able to talk about it and not collapse into a, a bowl of tears it took a while but not too long because also now i'm i'm like should i accelerate the journey um should i slow it down and all sorts of things so in that mix of questions we were just like you know what the body is good enough to go again so let's go through and do it attempt number 4 wow of artificial insemination um and this is the point where oh it doesn't take it doesn't take so at that point we were just like given everything that we're seeing around us i don't know if we're getting the right kind of care mm. in this particular facility that we're in you cannot just as a medical professional be telling me this is common this is common this is common what are we doing different, different yeah what are we trying what else can we do um so i mean my mind was there but also i don't know what could be done and are these conversations you're having with the medical practitioner who's helping you or are they in your head these are in my head because i mean we speak about being able to have the language i didn't know what else to ask mm. given that a medical professional in their position of authority in that moment they're not saying anything else so now you have to wonder whether it's just you and your your personal kind of sense of wonder or is this something that you should be asking and i think it's important to be able to say sometimes you're completely overtaken by the moment and you, your logical mind doesn't make the synapse connections that it needs to make to be able to say actually this is a valid question ask yes. you don't have the answer ask yes. you know there should be no question that's taboo or you know irrelevant or small or whatever the case may be so and i didn't i didn't rise to that occasion i didn't i didn't but it's not even it's not even about you rising to the occasion it's also about saying you see this every hour of every day as part of your professional journey help me correct open my mind up to what else could be happening even if you just have a conversation that says i know you might be worried correct these are the other options i've thought of but actually i'm not recommending them for you because of xyz correct. so so you give me the language and you give me the comfort that actually i'm not completely crazy correct correct and it's that it's i mean after attempt number 4 then we decided no this is not going to work let us try something different okay so we then went to a different fertility clinic and from getting the appointment getting the form sent ahead of time to be able to fill in and you know it was such a different experience forget the fact yeah. that we haven't spoken anything medical just just understanding that you're a human being going That's through it. this and we will make it as easy absolutely for you as possible absolutely yes. so that was the first thing i don't know whether my my senses also were hypersensitive at the time but i really did take note of that i was like oh even just you know the call to confirm the appointment this is who your doctor's going to be because the practice has quite a few doctors um arriving there being taken to his office one of the first few things that he says to me is um well he says to us he says one of two things will run out through this process 
because, I mean, that you're dealing with chances, um, one of two things will run out. It's the money or just your emotional capacity to deal. And I sat back and I thought, like, how much money do you need? Because I think the <laughs> other one is not going to run out. <laughs> I was just like, how much money do you need? But, I mean, I think the point that he was trying to drive across that it's, it isn't, in fact, about the money. So the money could still be there. Mm. But just emotionally, as you go through the ups and downs, this is, you know, this is something that's likely to happen. And I, I had a solid appreciation for that. And motherhood is supposed to be the most natural of things. Right. Right. That's at least that's how we were brought up. Yeah. So I mean that's very worthwhile. So you know, the post the miscarriage, then you, you ask yourself, isn't this what we're built to do? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you able to do it, body? Mm. You know, why are you letting me down? This yeah. is this is it. This is what we're here for. Mm. Um and that conversation I remember having with my wife to say, like my body is just it's betraying it's me. Be- Thank you. That's the word I hear a lot. Betrayal of body. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, my body is literally betraying me. I have no understanding of why this isn't working. Because mm. this is this is what we do. Mm. So, yeah, the new doctor listens to our story. That's important when you're transferring in, in any context. Forget this particular one. Get a new doctor. Give them some history. This is what has been happening immediately he says i have a suspicion i'm going to need you to stand up right now and go to the lab take some bloods i think i know what it is but i'm not going to pin all hope on it but i think i know what it is and it'll allow us to have a very different conversation well first meeting just from listening to the story sure we do the bloods we come in for the results and he says just as much as I suspected. You have what is called early ovarian aging, and this is what your body is doing. So we need to give your body a boost. Mm. Boost, read, more prescribed meds, more money, which medical aid doesn't cover. <laughs> we, 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 I'm definitely, definitely going to have a session around the financial implications yeah. of this journey. Yeah. Um, because there's... There are many people out there with fertility challenges or who need assistance with this journey to becoming a mother. Correct. But if you haven't saved up for it, or financially you can't. That's a big, big conversation. Very big. I mean, and it's massive. Access to medication, access to, you know, quality of life and all sorts of things. Mm. And this journey is riddled with blood tests upon blood tests Mm. upon hormones, you know, so... I'll talk about the hormones when I get to the next part. But after this check, uh, there's a particular hormone that he checked, and then that's what told him mm-hmm. about the early ovarian aging. So then we worked to to anti-age me. Oh, wow. uh, and anti-aging, much to my disappointment, doesn't mean reversing the clock. <laughs> well, you look very young. <laughs> so much, <laughs> much to my disappointment well, and dismay. How old were you at this stage? I'm 33. You're 33. I'm 32 at, at that time. point. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 30, I'm 32 because she, she arrived at 33. And the reason I ask, no, and it's I'm important, is yeah. because as women, we assume that you have this problem in your 40s. Yes. Here you are, early 30s. Very early 30s. Um, yeah. Fit, healthy, 
you know, go get her. Yeah. You should be able to do this. You should yes. be able to will this into being. You should be able to will your eggs into yes. performing, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so that's why they're early ovarian aging, because these are some of the challenges that happen to older women. But yeah, disappointed. Anti-aging is not rolling the dice back. It is merely just slowing down the acceleration. Oh. Yeah. So that was another thing. And I remember when I asked the question, I was chuckling. I was like, is this, is this what we're trying to do? And then he was like, no, valid question, actually. You know, again, emphasizing the fact that no question is too small. Mm. And he was like, no, we're not trying to reverse the clock. We're trying to slow down what's happening, to give your body the chance to be able to give you some strong fighters. And he kept reiterating, you understand that for a pregnancy, you only need one egg. That was, we might have had the same doctor. I'll find out his <laughs> name after this. Because with me, he kept saying, don't worry. You only need one egg. Only need you one. You only need one egg. That's all you need. Only need one. Mm. So, I mean, also that peps you up a little bit mm. because that's it. Only need one. Mm. That, work with me, body. Only Just one. one. That's all I That's all we need. That's all. <laughs> Pep talks in the morning. <laughs> Come, my fighters. We only need one. We only need one. So we then decided let's do another round of artificial insemination post the anti-aging treatment and all the hormones. So then we did that and then attempt number five didn't catch. Wow. Yeah. Um, so now I'm, I'm like, okay, we've had five attempts basically. Um, now if I'm sitting with my gigantic calculator, I'm like, had I pulled those resources Mm. and tried something different or maybe even earlier, not even, you know, at point number five, could I have done different? Because now I'm exposing myself even further financially, you know, and exposing myself equals exposing my family because this is, my wife and I have decided this is what we're going to do. So we're zeroing in on this. Yeah. And this is what we're going to do at whatever cost. So then we have the discussion around IVF. And he explains to us what the process is. He explains to us the chances and that this is no guarantee. There are still many, many women who go through many rounds of IVF, much like we'd gone through five rounds of artificial insemination. There are many women who go through many rounds. So again, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm like, should I temper my excitement? Should I, you know, should I? I mean, you can't go into something expecting the negative results. Yeah. You know, so your, 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 your emotional strength needs to carry you to a point, but also understand that there's potential for, for disappointment. So then we eventually, you know, go through that hormone treatment. I'm getting my injections uh, from my wife every day. Sure. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. Um, impacts your mood. Impacts my mood. Impacts even just the sight of her. Oh, now wow. this is this is the love of my life, and I cannot stand the sight of her because she is the inflictor of pain. Really? Yeah. So the impact on relationship as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, you know, and she she's one of those people, you know, just hardly moved by mm. by injections. So for her, it's a process that yeah. she needs to do. She grabs the syringe, fills the <laughs> vial. Lie down, please. You know, jabs me, and there we go, all done. So, and I'm <laughs> you're, just you're like looking at her, like, no, really? I'm like, like that cold. <laughs> <Yeah. really? laughs> 
So oh, there, there is an appreciation. Imagine if both of us were, you know, equally squeamish or whatever. It wouldn't have worked. But um, just because it's home things, I, I want to say professionalism so badly, but mm. you know what I mean? She was just clinical about it. This is what we need to do. This is part of the process. Lie down, please, because when you're lying down, it's a, you scream a lot less than when you're sitting up or standing. So lying down <laughs> works. So this is what we're going to do. And I was just like, just how, how, how could you? Like, just stab me with so much ease. <laughs> no, but it's because she also, I mean, it's, it's a demonstration of love. Yes. She knew how much particularly you wanted it. Yes. And she knew this was part of the pain and process of Absolutely. getting there. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. So strength and love show up in different ways. Mm. Absolutely. I think that's another inflection point where you just, I can tell that you are doing this because you love me. Mm. And here I am, you know, being the pincushion and thinking, how can you do this and say you love me? But yeah. that was, you know, that it was necessary. It needed to happen whether or not she was the one doing it. I guess the joy was that I could do it within the comfort of my own home. Mm. I mean, I know some people who are really nervous about this who don't have partners and, you know, they literally drive past the hospital every evening mm. to get these things done. So that was a stroke of luck, but it did really affect our relationship. And you always have to come back to center. You really, really want to do this. This is part of the journey that we're doing. So let's go ahead. And then... Um, First attempt of IVF, we go in, there's, a, there's an extraction of the eggs that happens. So all the hormones, what they do is that they beef up the number of eggs that you're able to produce. So irrespective of what the normal run rate is of egg production, these hormones will make sure that your body's producing lots more than usual so that they have a likelihood of catching. So we take the hormones, we go through the process of extracting the eggs, and everything is explained to us. We go in, it's under anesthesia. And what they tell you is when you come to, you will have a number written on your arm or your hand or whatever, which will tell you how many eggs we got out. Oh, wow. Yeah. So whether or not anybody's around you, you can be able to see the news somewhere on your person. So I come to and my wife is smiling gleefully. So I'm still relatively incoherent. She takes my <laughs> hand, she shows it to me, and it has the number 13 on it. 13? 13. I got 13 eggs. 13 eggs. Wow. That's amazing. So there, 13 is not unlucky for me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they, I mean, prior to that, they would have explained the process, what happens after extraction, then the fertilization process itself, and then the process of then being able to implant. We're going through this process, we're getting huge amounts of information everyone on staff is on hand to be able to answer any questions. Wow. And that's why I'm saying the experience itself was fuller and richer. Mm. Um, so we go through that process. Then we, the, at the point of implant, then we have the conversation. So how many eggs do you want to put back? I'm like, well, why would you ask me that? What, <laughs> what does that mean? You know, you have a choice. I'm like, a choice? You know, then, you know, the doctor says, yes, typically we could put back one, but then you're dealing with those odds of just that one egg. Yeah. You put back two, you know, you're dealing with the odds individually of that. It's not a guarantee of success. Each egg has its own fighting chance. Then I'm like, okay, so worst case is a negative result. He says, yes. Um, and then he keeps quiet. And I'm like, is there more worst case? <laughs> so he says, twins. He says, <laughs> 
Not even twins. He says each egg could produce twins. What? So it could actually, yes. whoa. <laughs> so I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So it's not that easy. It's not as simple as put back one egg or put back two or whatever the case may be. So you're dealing with odds mm. of these individual eggs. So we then decided to put back two eggs and we are freaking out, praying. <laughs> and we're like, are you praying for the eggs? Are you praying for twins? Or are you praying that you don't end up with four? We're praying. <laughs> it's multi-level. Depending on the mood of the day, we're just like, <laughs> we want a pregnancy. Please, can it be one? If it's two, it'll be tough. But please, not four. And we're not trying to be ungrateful and telling you how to regulate. <laughs> you know, we want a gift. Um, but give us a small gift and not... So that was a little bit of a running joke until we had the test. We were just like, please, just one, just one, just one. Um, and then time of the test, you can imagine we're team no sleep now. We have to go and do these bloods to be able to determine. We go in, we do the bloods. It's a lot more somber than usual because we are worried carrying the baggage of the ones that didn't catch, carrying the, the baggage of our lost child. And we're just like, what now? Um, and we got a positive result. Oh, fantastic. Attempt number one of IVF, oh, we got a positive wow, result. wow, that is amazing. And now we're too nervous to celebrate. I, and I can imagine, I can imagine. We're too nervous to celebrate because it is still earlier than when we lost the first one. So now we're... We're, we're hugging, we're crying, and we're just like, stop right now. Mm. You do no more. And let's just wait for the milestones. Then we got to six weeks, and uh, that's when we, we hear the heartbeat for the first time. And again, we're just like, yes, thank you. But that's let's it. That's it for now. Mm. That's enough celebration for now. And then as you go through these individual milestones, mm. you're just like, thank you, but that's it for now. Mm. You know, so I don't know what it would necessarily feel like if we didn't have the experiences, the past experiences. Would it have made us much more elated and enjoy the journey as we, you know, d differently? I have no idea. But our lived experience was that we were just very cautious and tempered. It was a muted excitement mm. as we went through, literally until she was born. Wow. I did not rest. I did not take anything for granted. And I had an amazing pregnancy physically. Mm. I think I was just sad that I, I, I didn't show early on. I really wanted to show. You wanted to you wanted to have the whole <laughs> bump experience yes. and people like <laughs> Honestly, honestly didn't show. Um, when I was telling the guys at work uh, that I was going on leave, they were like, oh, okay, see you in two weeks or whatever. And I was like, what do you mean? Maternity it's leave is... Six months. Have you not been seeing, have you just been thinking I'm getting Yeah, I mean, do you, think, do you think this is a giant burger that I've had? Like, <laughs> they're like, no, we had no idea. Um, wow. Yeah, literally, we did, we did our preggy shoot the day before she was born. Wow. That's when I was visibly pregnant. You know, so it kind of helped. Remember we said, you know, I'm much more masculine presenting, so I was still wearing my shorts and my, nothing, nothing really had changed. Mm. And um, it was just a nausea. Uh, there was none of the vomiting, none of that. So everything from slices of lemon, old wives' tales, new wives' tales, all of it. I was all over it. This is what you do. <laughs> My mom was just like, I'm not saying it works, but try this. Try it. You know, and she, she said slices of lemon. So 
at some point I was like, this is not working. Just <laughs> one evening I just took the lemons and I just rubbed them all over my face. I was like, <laughs> sniffing them isn't enough. So, you know, just the frustration of, you know, what to do. And again, my wife, my sensitivity to smells, she would make sure that she's cooked early enough and aerate the house so that I come in and it doesn't smell of, you know, any of the ingredients, etc. And then there's the food, then we eat, then we hope it stays down. That was oh, just wow. the routine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, yeah, but water helped. Um, you know, uh, my little girl, she still loves water now. So it was one of the things that would kind of just bring me back to center. So it was amazing to get that result and just be able to walk it through to the very end. So in all of this, what conversations are you having with family? You've talked about your mother, but yes. but everyone else, did you bother to bring them along the journey? What what conversations are you having? Yeah, so I mean, uh we did, and I say we because we we committed to being able to do that together with mother because mother hears everything. So, I mean, uh, not to digress too far, but even when I came out, I came out to her and she then became my defender. Mm, so true. Yeah. So, you know, even the people that didn't understand or that had questions or whatever the case may be, she was just there. But we did, we, you know, my extended family, we spoke to them um, and we were like, this is happening. This is, you know, even telling them with the pictures of the scans, etc. You can see the excitement and they're just like, like, are you, are you the one that's? You know, <laughs> so even inside my own family, it was a, you know, you know, we're very excited. We really do want a child, but they also, you could see that they were doing their own kind of mental hurdles that they mm. needed to get over and be like, oh, okay, this is where we are. But again, the news of a child coming into the family was, you know, very well received, huge amounts of excitement and huge amounts of love, huge That's amounts important. of love. We were completely enveloped by the love. We were just... There's very little that I think we could have wanted for, even though we didn't ask for much, mm. but just a feeling that if ever there was a time that we needed anything, you know, people would be would rally around us to be able to support us. That was, that was quite awesome. Were there questions about the donor? There were, there were. So the questions were around, well, how do you find them? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, in our particular case, we looked at a catalogue. Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, so you're looking at people's pictures. And I'm like, no, we're looking at people's <laughs> descriptions. You know, there's a reference number that you get and there's a description and, and that's it. You know, there's short descriptions and there's long descriptions. So at some point, we only got one long description. And I mean, it was telling us about the guy and his family and his relationships and, you know, with his own family. And I was like, what? how is this information useful in my life? There must be some, you know, some science to it, but it really is beyond me. So very quickly, you were like, long profiles are just a waste of our time. Uh, I looked for a long profile, but anyway, <laughs> we, we, it's not my story today. So so, I wanted a story behind. And I was like, how is this story going to help me? He loves his sisters. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so we went with the short profiles. And funny enough, there's a picture that my mom and I took she used to have uh, long dreadlocks as well. So the one time she was like, look, I want to cut my hair. I was like, go to my stylist. You know, they cut very well. So the day that she went to go cut her hair, we took a picture. And in that picture, it literally looks like one person years apart. Wow. We look exactly alike. 
Then I took this picture back to my wife and I said, honey, look, there is no, we're panicking about a donor because we're worried about how's a child going to look and are they going to be too different from us and is that another level of explanations that we'll have to do when we're walking around with her and, and, and. Um, well, at the time we didn't know it was a her. But we were just like, there's so many unknowns which seem kind of irrational. Mm. You know, so after seeing that picture, we were like, in all earnest, this child will look like you. We could throw a dart mm. at this donor list mm. and this child will come out looking like me. Mm. You know, but we didn't throw a dart. It was careful <laughs> consideration of a few elements and we ended up with a donor and throughout all the attempts, by the way, because it was such turmoil to pick a donor, we used the same donor sperm. Oh, wow. So every time it ran out, we'd go buy some more because mm. you buy it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You buy it. Um, so that was quite interesting. And now we have a beautiful baby girl. Um, we just couldn't be happier. And we still wow. have eggs frozen, by the way. Okay, so let's talk about three things in closing. There are three things. Um, first is, mm. as your daughter grows up, what is, what is her story? And how much of her story is hers versus yours? That's a very interesting one. And I think about that potentially uh, like lots more than I probably let on. Mm. Um, given this country and where we are with things like femicide and all sorts of things like that, I worry about my own life and me being in her life for a long time. Anything could happen to us. Mm. There's a whole host of things that happen in this country Corrective rape is probably one of the most harrowing. So sure. I think about that a lot to say, I better be there. As mm. a mother, you want to protect your child. I'm just like, I'm, I hope I'm there mm. to be able to do it. And none of the stuff that's happening in the country kind of gets that close. Second, I'm like, there is an acceptance, a general acceptance for the LGBT community. But there's also the knowledge that kids are mean. Mm. You know, so in her early years in school, she could be subjected to so much, which under normal, air quotes, normal circumstances, she wouldn't necessarily be subjected to. We still get the forms that say, you know, mom, dad. Mm -hmm. And there's still a mother's day and a father's day. Absolutely. And a grandparent's day. Grandparents is solid because it just says grandparents. But not everyone has grandparents. Sorry, just me. Yes, okay, okay. <laughs> Both my parents died when I was pregnant, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Actually, family is just such a, such a different construct. Such a especially different. Especially in this country with mm. child-headed households and, and all sorts of things. So I think f for me when I was saying that, it was just that you just collapse it and yes. it's a duality of grandparents. It should be like family days. Family days. Special person day. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. So I, I mean... And again, heteronormative things. I, I went to Father's Day and my <laughs> wife went to Mother's Day. <laughs> no, because you want to keep the stereotype alive. Because <laughs> <laughs> now just, I'm there with the dads and I'm just like, whoa, okay. <laughs> I'm the one that gave birth, gents. I'm the one. I'm the one. <laughs> I, can, I can share with you what it's like. <laughs> But, I mean, it was, um, we go through that. And I'm just, you know, I was raised by a single parent. And then I remember how much how much it hurt in those moments where 
you cross out the one parent's details because mm. that was my reality at the time. So for her, she's going to do some crossing out, but it's not, it's not the other parent isn't there. Mm. The other parent is not a dad. Yeah. Well, at least there are two parents, but yes. There are two parents. It's, it's not, it's not a dad. So, I mean, she's super cute. She calls her other mom, mom, and she calls me mother. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was that intentional? I have no idea. The first time I heard it, I was shattered because I thought, do I work so hard that she's, I mean, she calls me by such a formal name. And then I slowed down and I remembered, I call my own mom mother. Yeah. So she so may she just be mimicking. Yes. Um, it's nothing personal. But I've rested in that. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's, not, she's, not, she's not like segregating. No, I, I took yeah. it so personal. I was just like, mother? That's hectic. But no, mom and mother and... Hello, mom and mother, and we know who she's talking to, and it's just it's just amazing. But that kind of see love, understand love, understand mm. that love can come from absolutely anywhere. And then, obviously, you have the friends, which is very common. Friends with little boys are like, oh, this is my Makoti, you know, this is the woman that, you know, this is the girl that my, my boy is going to marry one day. And I'm just like, have you met us? <laughs> Why is it that straightforward? You know? (laughs) (laughs) There's so many layers to this, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I I think about the influence that that our lives will have on her. And and we're very clear on demonstrating love Mm. and telling her that love is real and it exists and it comes from all sorts of places. And just you know, ensure that you are clear about who you are and what love is to you. And she's super young, but believe it or not, these are the things that I'll say to her Mm. just to make sure that I'm consistent in my messaging. Whether she understands them or not, that's immaterial. She'll grow to understand them. She will, because my messaging is going to be consistent and I'm going to keep that up. That's powerful. And it'll, it'll make sure that if there's a struggle in the words, I'll perfect it by the time she gets to understand it. Mm. You know, I'll be able to articulate it clearer and clearer as time goes on. Because this is a message I tell her now, you know, and we'll, you know, I'll come home from work or whatever the case may be. And I will kiss her and I will kiss my wife. And then she'll be like, kiss mommy, you know, mm. and she, she understands that's how we show love. And mm-hmm. that's where we are. And she, she understands that. Yeah. Um, but then I worry then about what is she going to have to deal with out there? And I can't protect her from it all. You can't. You I know, cannot. All you can do is give her the foundation and anchoring that tells her that families are different. Absolutely. They come in all shapes and forms, and you are loved. Absolutely. Absolutely. And mm. I mean, I think there's a comfort in the fact that there's more and more social acceptance. So I don't think she'll be hearing that message. Certainly four or five years from now, um, when she's, you know, she's in grade school, I don't think there'll be an absence. We're not going to backtrack. There'll mm. be more and more information. There'll be more and more parents who look like us, who two dads, you know, uh, older siblings as your parents. Like we just said, there's so mm. many variations. In fact, the nucleic mom, dad, two kids family is the rarest in this country. Yeah, I agree with you. I you mean, know. I think over 40%, I think it's actually 60% of children born in this country are born to mothers who are not married. This is it. And so, I mean, I don't know why we then hang on to that nucleic stereotype when reality says not. So mm. should we not be changing the forms at school? I, this is going to be my fight over time. I'm just settling. 
<laughs> I want to settle enough that they can't ask me to leave. But yeah. yeah. But okay, so, so that's the one. The second yeah. is, so you've got more, are they actually embryos or eggs? Embryos, embryos, yeah. Um, you know, what will you do with them? Have you thought about that? No, we haven't thought that far. Okay. So given the the journey and almost the cost of storage, it's worthwhile buying ourselves some time mm-hmm. by keeping them there just mm-hmm. in case the need arises. Because what that means is that we won't have to start the process from scratch. Yeah. Um, we'll start at the point of implant, which mm-hmm. is right towards the end. So we're buying ourselves options um, okay. to be able to do that. So the embryos are there, fertilized, ready for full action. Would you ever donate them if it came to that? Would I you think, be comfortable? I think I would, but I don't know how far in terms of the donation. Mm. So do I want to donate them to science to be able to help women or do I want to donate with the full realization of what that the child, child is going to come out looking exactly mm. like me? So that's another existential kind of discussion that I probably haven't allowed my mind to go through, but I would not hesitate to donate to science to be able to say, what can we learn mm-hmm. that's going to help somebody else's journey, given the fact that our journeys are so fundamentally different and modern medicine is changing so fast. Yeah. So there's a possibility that there's something that they could learn and I would have contributed positively to the journeys of so many other women. That's true. My final thing, what words of wisdom or guidance would you give to someone listening to this right now and saying, I'm either on this journey, yeah. I'm thinking about this journey, or maybe I gave up on this journey? You know, what, what would you say to that person? Yeah, so I think, I mean, this is a tough one considering, and I mean, the spanner in the works is to, to the woman who's given up on the journey mm. because that's so Deeply, deeply personal. Mm. I guess the overarching advice that I would give is something that I grew up with. I didn't apply it specifically for this context is how I lived my life. And it's something that came from when I was just before I, you know, I came out openly. There's a period in my life where I was like, if you are brave enough to ask me the question, I will be brave enough to give you a truthful answer. Mm -hmm. So all the women who are on this journey, I'm saying there's no question too small. Mm. Be brave enough to ask the question. And then let's see what happens with the answer that comes. Because the more information you have, the better equipped you are, in fact, to be able to ask better quality questions or make more informed decisions as to where you are, what that means, what additional assistance is required. I mean, now there's even financial products to be able to help you with this journey um, in terms of medical loans specifically for this. There's information. Mm -hmm. But if you don't even know what question to ask, rather spend that time sharpening that saw. Ask whatever comes out. Mm. There's no stupid question. Absolutely. You know, ask whatever comes out. And from there, the answer could spark another question or you could just build the confidence of being able to allow your mind to go into spaces where probably your fear doesn't allow you to go. Mm. But information is key. It's one of the reasons why we're sitting here having this conversation. Mm-hmm. We very clearly identify that information is few and far between. So the effort that we're making is to be able to bring the stories closer and closer to people. Yeah. So I'm hoping that through this engagement, there's pearls of wisdom that have come through, there's questions that have been sparked, there's 
you know, much more agency, you know, women just take control of the journey. If you have mm. a, if you have a gut feeling that says you're not comfortable, explore that, mm. explore that, that gut feeling is there for a reason. And it's not to say that you're not going to trust medical experts or whatever the case may be, but it'll just equip you with, you know, where do I shift my weight to next? True. Um, true. So yeah, those would be kind of my parting thoughts, but it really is about listen, but if there's nothing forthcoming, ask. You could be the breakthrough that all of us are looking for in exactly. terms of that question has given us that answer, which has, you know, kind of closed the gap. Mm. I really love what you said. I'm going to actually close on that note to say agency. And, and that's a big part of why we're having these conversations to help women to realize that there are many different parts, many different journeys. And it is not unnatural to want to be a mother, to right. yearn to be a mother. Mm. It is not, you know, abnormal to have challenges of different forms in that journey. And it is absolutely okay to have an assisted process in that journey. Thank you, Lerato. I absolutely enjoyed this. We could have continued <laughs> for a what long a pleasure. Time. That was awesome. And we might bring you back for a round two. Thank you so much. I look forward to that. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.